You ready? Yeah, no, no I'm just... No, should we just do it? Just making sure... No, should, we, should we start the show? <laughs> hey? Let's just do it. Do it now. Well, it's me, it's you. We're doing a show about me, right? Me, me, me. We are doing a show about you. Uh, good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got a new album out. I know. On Ministry. It's called Masterpiece. Let's talk about it. Well, let's go. Here we go. Ross Allen in conversation with Giles Peterson talking about the excellent masterpiece compilation album he's done. I thought that was you then. (laughs) (laughs) It was. (laughs) Deep. So, uh, we've spoken about the album. Yeah. There's a few oldies splattered amongst it. Yeah. But I thought it'd be good for a lot of people who um, maybe know you of late. To give him a bit of a history, you know, I've known you a long time. Yeah, first time I saw you was at the Slammer in Gravesend. <laughs> That's what Norman was talking about the other week. And um, I was already pretty much in the game at that point, I think. I was yeah. already getting outside of the M25 and getting paid for it. <laughs> so that was kind of good. But um, no, I started off quite late, actually. I think... I didn't buy my first records until I was about 13 or 14. You know, you hear of DJs who bought their first record when they were six and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember buying Blondie, ELO, Mr. Blue Sky, um, going to Sutton Library and pilfering their vinyls because it was quite easy to get records out and not bring them back because they used to have those outside things, plastic yeah. sort of sleeves, yeah. outside sleeves, so you just, you could, you could, you could work it out. So yeah. I remember buying, I, well not buying, just, um, I remember having like, I don't know how, why, but Mark Murphy, Stolen Moments, I got that from Sutton Library about 14 or 15, I didn't, I didn't know who he was, I, it was just one of those, probably, <laughs> probably quite like the look of him. Sounds like it was, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it was asking to be nicked anyway. Yeah, probably was, I don't think anyone else was checking it out. But basically that was the sort of, so I started kind of young, um, well not that young, and then I went to, I went to, um. French schools because my yeah. mum and dad um, came over here from France I and mean, I've been living in London since I was like three but um, so my parents put me through the French system because they always thought that they'd end up going back at one stage so I went to the French lycée right, right, right. until I was about um, 12 right <clears throat> and then um, it all went a bit pear-shaped for my brother who was eight years older than me and they decided to take me out of that school and um, put me in the English system which is kind of a bit tricky because I, I wrote a certain way I wrote in French and when I went to English school I had to learn how to write again and it was kind of quite traumatic for me right, right. at that time and um, but I was quite good at sport so I managed to kind of uh, get into the social scene yeah, at yeah, school yeah, yeah as a bit of a sort of a bit of an outsider and um, and it was through sport that I met and I kind of got to re- got to appreciate the difference between French kids and English kids in terms of how important music and being part of a movement was and so most of the kids who went to my school were into like groups like Rainbow and Thin Lizzy that right, sort right, of right. era yeah, yeah. a few of them were into the beginnings of punk 
and I hung out with two other boys who were into jazz, funk and soul. One of them was called Andrew. Right. And his sister had really great Bobby Caldwell albums and sort of Maze albums and stuff like that. So yeah. by the time I got to sort of 13, 14, I was beginning to feel part of something, a movement, a scene. I had something that I could identify with and I was discovering all this music and I was hearing pirate radio. So a lot happened at the same time for me. And I discovered things like the King's Road and going to shops like Jones and buying pod shoes. And I felt like I was something and yeah. part of something. And uh, before long, so that was 13, 14, 15. And, uh, you know, getting getting a buzz out of seeing David Bendeth performing Feel the Real on Top of the Pops or Tony Rallo and the Midnight Band doing Holding On or watching Freeze doing Southern Freeze. They were great highlight moments of me as a young youth in London who discovered all this music, who'd listen to Pirate Radio on Radio and Victor, listen to Robbie Vincent on the radio, Greg Edwards. They were the people who really gave me my direction. Going to Case to Soul Weekend at probably 16 years old yeah. getting on the train and seeing that like, a few thousand people dancing to Chris Hill in the main stage then he dropped Tanya Maria and then tell everybody to get on the floor and sort of just you know the guy was my initial hero as a DJ when I saw him performing he's the one who doesn't get a great deal of um, of credit you know 30 years later as being sort of the DJ that taught most DJs in the UK about having fun and but also about you know being into the music and being able to to play a Tiny Maria record to 3,000 people was quite impressive at the time. And so all these things, you know, made me completely, you know, obsessed about the music. And I was also lucky at that time that there was a there was a live music scene as well. You know, jazz funk was mm. quite big. You know, groups like Level 42 and Second Image and Light of the World. All these groups were amazing. Um, and were they sort of around, you know, you were you were checking them out sort of live? Yeah, I was going yeah. to the Lyceum, I was going to the venue in Victoria. Yeah. I don't know how my mum let me get away with it, really. I mean, I used to, well, anyway, that's another story. But basically, I used to just, you know, yeah, me and this guy, Andrew, we used to just go everywhere, Caster and all these gigs and jazz funk all dayers. And so there was the sort of, there was the pirate radio, there were the bands, there was the DJ scene. Yeah. And there was little pubs and bars that would play the music. And I was living in South London, there was places in Croydon, there was places in Streatham. Um, I'd go to see um, the Drift Bridge, which was in um, sort of Rose Hill near Sutton. I'd go and see. That's where I first met Carl Cox, and DJs like Barry, um, Barry, Sh not Barry Sharp. Um, I can't remember them now. Tony Godwin. That's that era. The, I remember hearing "Links You're Lying" for the first time in one of those bars on a white label, and going up to the DJ and going, "What is that? It's yeah, an amazing yeah, yeah, record." Yeah, yeah. And he had the white. He says, oh, "There's only sort of 50 copies, but they got it in that record shop in the market in Sutton." And I would go there the next morning, the next day, and they'd, they'd have run out, you know. But yeah. that was the time. It was also the time of jazz imports you know you'd yeah. go to the shop and pay 12 pounds for a Hiroshi Fukumaro album from Japan which had sort of a sort of strap around it and yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. exotic and amazing and exciting and you see all these musicians so you just slowly I was getting into the culture the music the bands it was just bringing me in and I was like 16 17 then or probably 15 is when I, my mum and dad went off on their wedding anniversary and uh, it was the first time they'd left us all at home my brother my sister and me and uh, they'd gone for a few days and when they left there was a electric railway set in the in the garden shed and when they came back there was a Citronic 1200 Thames mixer <laughs> <laughs> upgrade <laughs> which I'd bought on HP with my mate and um and so, you know, obviously to pay for that, pay it back every week, 
um, every month, we'd had to, you know, go and perform at weddings and do, you know, find a way. So that's when I started working in in wine bars and you know there was a place called I can't remember what it's called now the Claret and Cheam and a few places like that that's why actually I first met Kevin Beadle the DJ because he used to come and check me out in oh, okay. some of these bars so we were really young at that time 17, 18 probably and that was really it and then I set up a pirate radio station in the Garden Shed and and my dad would help me take the you know we'd record shows like and, we were, and what you know what sort of what possessed you to set up a pirate was it just kind of wanting to be part of the scene and just it seemed like a logical thing to do because it's it, it would seem like it's quite an undertaking. I mean, yeah, you know. no, it was quite straightforward. I mean, my mate next door, Ross, who called himself Ross Travone on the radio, yeah. Ross Tinsley, he was my neighbour. He was a massive John Peel fan. He was really into that whole kind of John Peel thing. I didn't yeah. really get that. You know, mm. I was pure Robbie Vincent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted to be Robbie Vincent. I wanted to be a, co- a kind of a, a co- combination of Robbie Vincent, Steve Devon on Radio and Victor, and... Uh, and and Chris Hill. That's what I wanted to be. And he wanted to be my mate next door. He wanted to be John Peel. So he yeah. called himself Ross and I called myself Giles Peterson, which isn't my real name. Because I was going out of a girl called Natalie Peterson. And right. she'd had to change her name because her real name was Natalie Huckett. But they used to call her Natalie at school. Yeah. Rhyming. So... <laughs> So she had her name changed by Depole to Peterson. And I thought that's quite a good name. So that's why I call myself Giles Peterson. I haven't seen her since. I'd like to see her. She was cute. And we used to go to um, Nonsuch Park and get off of each other. <laughs> As you do at that age. But um, So that's how Peterson came about. But um, but yeah, so so yeah, we just record one hour each on my Citronic Thames. Because I had the Thames. The Thames was the, the better one of the... Of the Citronics because it had a cassette player in it. It was two decks, obviously not 1200s, and it had a cassette player so you could record your your DJ sets. And uh, so we'd record an hour each on a TDK, and uh, he'd do a John Peel kind of um, copy, and I'd do a Robbie Vincent copy. And uh, and my dad would so we'd record the shows, and then my dad would drive us up to Epsom Downs with the shows on a cassette player and then I'd have got a little transmitter because I knew a local engineer guy who um, who could build transmitters who'd built us a transmitter so basically we got my dad by this stage was really into all this because he was like excited it was like you know he was probably in his late 50s and thinking this is fun you know I've been stuck in the office for the last 30 years or whatever he just thought he was getting but get, he was getting a buzz out of you know what I was getting a buzz yeah, yeah, yeah. out of so he'd drive us up to Epsom Downs and then we'd literally um, you know, we'd play out these shows that we'd recorded on the Thames mixer, um, and so we'd connect the little transmitter to a car battery, transmitter to the cassette player, transmitter to an aerial, which we put at the top of a tree. On the shows that we recorded, we'd give a phone number out, which was the local phone box next to the pub, top of the and then we'd get one or two phone calls from people going, you know, we're listening, we're checking you out, we're in Yule, or yeah. we're in, you know, wherever. Okay. You know, if we were lucky, we might have been in sort of Bromley or something. And so that obviously gave us enough motivation and excitement to want to do it again the following week. And uh, and then what happened was Radio and Victor lost their transmitter. They had they'd been busted, and uh, they heard there was this young boy called Giles who um, who had a transmitter. So they contacted me through my the engineer who built us this transmitter, and they said, "Can we have a transmitter?" And I said, "Well, yeah, as long as you give me a show." So that was when the first hustle started. Nice, That's nice, when the nice. Hustle really began. 
And so I got my show on Radio Invictor. And that's when I basically, um, you know, really got to understand pirate radio. And because I was the little one and my mum had a mm. mini and I was 17 now and I could mm. drive. I, and I was this sort of mad enthusiastic one. Basically, they, 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 they sussed that out quickly with me. So they basically said, look, can you put the aerials up? Can you put the transmitter? So I'd be the one going up at four o'clock in the morning to all the tower blocks in Leighton and wherever there's a you know, Crystal Palace. And I was the little kid who'd be going up there through the sort of, you know, with the illegal keys, putting it up on the aerial. And I was the aerial maker and builder and all that stuff. Oh, so okay. I spent my formative years learning about, um, well, seeing London from high above. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was quite fun for a couple of years. And that was Radio and Victor. Amazing. The best soul station for me. Who else was on now? Mastermind Roadshow. Okay. Tony Johns, Steve Chandler, Andy Jackson, Steve Devon, Trevor Shakes. Right. Um, so it was really that period of kind of DJs, crackers, that kind of whole right. area, you know, um, from that period. Um, Chris Hill would do the odd show. Um, St- St- Steve Walsh was on as well oh was he brilliant okay. broadcaster at the time but it was a bit of competition between him and Hilly you know yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Walsh was, showman. was Black Echoes and Chris Hill was Blues and Soul and so I was on both sort of scenes a little bit so I'd like to go to K-Star but Steve, would, Steve Walsh would never go to K-Star he'd just do his Funky Fox promotions at the, at the Lyceum which was right. a different kind of crowd so and he'd play at the um, what's that club Cat's Whiskers in Streatham and places like that so that was really my formative years of just learning about the culture, reading the magazines, buying the imports, setting up the pirates, and the way to make money was to work in wine bars and bars and weddings and funerals and bar mitzvahs and whatever you could do. Obviously, my studies went out the window. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my parents left when I was eighteen. They were like, they were, they were like, we're going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> my brother and sister had left the country, so I was, I was, I was left here with uh, with a mini and a transmitter. And a box of records, and uh, and here we are. And 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 at that time, the, you know, were you you were sort of more on the, you know, playing the, the sort of same records as as everyone else. Do you know what I mean? In that in that jazz funky scene, or had you kind of I was already, deviated I off? Was, yeah, I, I I was I was very, you know, um, I remember Robbie Minson used to do a thing called the Jazz Funk Forty, which is where he'd play kind of Herbie Hancock records and Joe Sample records, and there was that. We forget there was a really strong movement of jazz funk bands yeah. that we could, you know, associate ourselves with. So for me, it was as important to go backstage and try and get Mark King to sign my program at a level forty-two gig. That was like the buzz. I used to go to Guildford and all kinds. I was a real yeah. sado, really. You Fan, know, properly worse. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like, you know, on the edge of being a that little bit frightening. That's it, that, that's it, though, isn't it? That's that. That is the drive. That's yeah. what you, you know. That's yeah. High love, tension. Love I used to love high tension. High tension. But there was all these amazing bands that, you know, you were like, yeah, this is so wicked and great and amazing. You can, you know, that there was the band thing. And that was very jazz oriented. You know, groups like Slave and Cameo mm. and Clear and all that jazz funk boogie, Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. really big at that time. And so that was a great influence for me. And I just, I remember George Duke coming out. This was 1980 with Brazilian Love Affair. And when I got that album, because obviously we all knew that from the disco track Brazilian Love Affair which mm. was a crossover those records used to get in the charts I know it's quite yeah. freaky isn't it? it's and, another and era another era and then you'd buy the album and then suddenly you discovered Milton Nascimento was on a George Duke album and you'd discover Flora Purim so yeah, suddenly yeah. at sort of the age of 17 I was really going into deep into the jazz and the whole history of music that way 
so before you know it, you're you're at John Coltrane's store. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it is that thing, isn't it? You, you know, you sort of do forget now because it is so much about the artist or the, the producer and the the vocalist or whatever. And you know, if you're a bit deeper, you'll sort of look into who was doing the drums or whatever. But back then, it was bands and everyone played together, mm. and you could join those sort of you know dots together. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Of that artist and uh, and the other ones, and just you know, I suppose if you heard a a good sax solo or you like the percussion on it you'd go oh so and so and then you'd be like oh there's a whole load of records by them sort of thing Paulino de Costa he's on every record yeah no exactly exactly <laughs> do you know what I mean and, and, and there are those that's that thing isn't there there's those you know I mean I suppose I did it as well with the James Brown thing where you sort of go oh you know Bootsy and I don't know Hank Ballard and the vocalists and Bobby Bird and you know all those people that and Maceo and, and Fred Wesley and that that you just go what are their records like sort of thing you know and that's yeah it's a different way that everyone does it now, but it's, I, I can imagine how it opened it up a lot, I maybe quicker. The internet's made it happen again in a yeah. way, and I think that now if people are curious about something, it doesn't take them long to get to the root of it, and I think that's a really good thing, and I think that's really having a great effect. I was at a gig last night, I went to see the Step Kids who played at Cargo, and they mm. were cross between Revolver, The Beatles, early Pink Floyd, Rotary Connection, bit of hip-hop thrown in, really interesting band. Which a few years ago you'd have put that in a cargo as a support to a hip hop act and it would have gone really down badly. Whereas yesterday it was a great, you know, people were really up for it and people were kind of curious, interested, and understanding. And I think that, you know, on one hand I was in IB for last week and it was lowest common denominator and I was a bit disappointed. You know, I played Jamie XX far far away at sort of 1:30 in the terrace of space and literally I cleared the dance floor so quickly because it wasn't full to the floor so there's a certain element that's still super straight and you know conservative Ibiza yeah, yeah, yeah but then so it's not all but that's interesting in its own way because then you see how people like Carl Cox or Ricardo Villalobos twist it to their way and they make it into this incredible thing but it's just very restrained as to the kind of width of music you can play at Ibiza yeah but but the other side of that is that, you know, there's scenes and like even the festival that I'm doing in, in France, the amazing thing is, you know, you can put Flying Lotus on doing his trio, pretty impro avant-garde stuff to 5,000 people and then play Derek Carr afterwards and the crowd will get both of them equally. Yeah. That's a buzz, you know, yeah. and then you can put on some African music or whatever. That's, and it, has, it's, it was never as good as it is now in that respect. also forget the connection between jazz funk soul and punk because you know a lot of my mates and I'd go to a lot of punk parties at that mm. time they were kind of related yet so dis you know so far away I mean most of punk came from the gold mine anyway Chris yeah. Hill was kind of part of that Susan the Banshees all that scene a lot of them were all suburb they were soul kids yeah. and, and a lot of them were as uh, and the funny thing is now you speak to all the DJs a lot of the big DJs today 
a lot of them are kind of into their jazz and stuff. You know, anyone who's survived 30 years, they finally got to the point where... Anyway, that's another thing altogether. But going back to the internet thing, um, the thing that really showed it to me was when I saw Rodigan um, at Bestival last year. I think you were there. And we, I, I, I was playing, and he went on after me. I could just see the crowd, the tent, just getting weightier and weightier just before he went on. It was just getting... The, the, the expectation was enormous, and it was really young. I was like, this is going to be interesting. I haven't seen Rodigan for years. And he went on and and obviously totally smashed it. Yeah. But the funny thing was, he'd play these reggae tunes, right? Some quite deep ones, right? And the kids at the front, they knew every single lyric. Mm. Now, I'd heard those records before, but I didn't know. I wasn't... I, I couldn't sing, sing them out. And so all these kids, I'm like, how the hell do you know the lyrics to all that? And so that's, again, the internet. I don't know what it is, but it's made people really... If they're into it, they go in hard. I've got a record lined up. Yeah, let's a band it. that I think have been with you for a long time. Okay. First track on the final CD, Incognito. Tell oh, us yeah. a little bit about them. Yeah, well, um, this is sort of taking me more into the sort of um, my years as a sort of record company person, hmm. um, connecting with my years as a fan in, in the informative years. Um, actually, the first ever interview I ever did on my pirate station was with Bluey from Incognito because he's the only one I sent three letters out I sent one to Freeze one to Level 42 and one to Incognito and I said I'm a little young guy in South London I run a pirate station can you come and do an interview and they, none of them they all ignored me apart from Blue and Blue from Incognito wrote to me and he went yeah in the old days that's like what you do you write yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe five um, and he came all the way to where we, we, we lived in Sutton and um, and I did my first interview with him and he was the most fantastic bloke I'd ever met and he was so gracious and soulful and taught me a lot and became good friends and that, that was around a time of an album called Jazz Funk which mm. was really important record and around that time he did a single called Paris and Girl on the other side of that was a track called Summer's End but 10 years later is when I started my third or fourth record company which was Talking Loud yeah. and the first band first person I called up was Bluey because I wanted to pay him back with my love and respect and give him a record deal and he was I was at th Talking Loud for 13 years we put out five or six Incognito records if we hadn't released Incognito the record label wouldn't have lasted more than three years because even though Incognito weren't that successful in England they were huge in America and so all the sales that they would make for me over there would pay for the label in the UK. So I owe him a lot.
Ross Allen in conversation with Giles Peterson going back with a uh, seminal band incognito does sound brilliant doesn't it it does yeah if that was a new Thundercat with Flying Lotus track people might go yeah quite like it you know <laughs> sort of, uh, 30 years later it's all full circle in a way you know Fusion's back almost we're in a certain area of music Brain Feeder you know where that kind of electronic and live music and playing the bass I mean I don't yeah. know if you've heard the Thundercat album but it's, no it's like Jaco Pistorius meets George Duke really and everyone's going mad about it and it's a great record but it's for me who was there the first time and saw the amount of hatred there was towards fate, Fusion yeah, 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 yeah you know a lot especially in this country you know because we are rock and roll in the UK so when the media gets on it you know the NME and all that they can be pretty hardcore and so if you were anything to do with jazz it was you know you needed to have a strong spirit to get through it and not to be affected by it you know yeah, yeah. I, suppose, I suppose the thing is, is fusion is one of those things which you know although it's a kind of genre in itself but as an overview is something that you've always dabbled in as the music has moved on do you know what I mean those those elements which kind of take you back to that but are utilising the new kind of sonics do you know what I mean I mean I think you know when I when I first started listening to you which I suppose we're phase we'll get onto in a minute was you know the more old school jazz kind of thing but then what I always loved was the way you sort of evolved that you know I know it's your sort of thing joining the dots do you know what I mean and then someone coming along playing these kind of almost quirky 50s, 60s pop tunes, but then to be able to go a lot deeper and be playing Horace Silver and stuff like that, or Mel Torme, or, you know, those bits, which were accessible, and also making it even more accessible by playing Girls of the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble, Jazzy Jeff, and that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, I always remember you kind of saying, well, look, if I can sort of bring people back to a John Coltrane record, do you know what I mean? Then that was almost... There was, you know, it's kind of a mission statement that I always thought was a really good reason for for playing, you know, the music that you did and and bringing it back to that kind of source. And true, 
also very lucky that I had a few great, shall I say, teachers early on in my times as a DJ. There was one guy called Chris Bangs who I did a lot of work with back in the day. He was the man who really coined the phrase acid jazz. We used to play together as, uh, you know, we used to play on that scene with Nicky Holloway, Danny Ramplin, Pete Tong, mm. that Paul Oakenfold. We were doing all those things and I was always upstairs with Bangsy at the Royal Oak, Street, yeah, special yeah, yeah. brunch and all that. And uh, Anyway, he, he was the one who who put the humour into it all. So he's the one who'd throw an Edie Gourmet record in there, you know, next to something serious. So the girl, it was never too serious. He always had that sense of humour, which I've always really appreciated. Because some people just take it all too seriously. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions. So they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't get cherry soda Cause they've got to sell their quota And the way things look I guess they never will They've got a zillion tons of coffee in Brazil No tea Or tomato juice You'll see No potato juice Cause the planter's down in Santa's a politician's daughter was accused of drinking water and was fined a great big $50 bill. They got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Still got the table long to go. 
And there was people like Bob Jones and you'd go to the jazz room at a case or something and he'd be the one playing like 100 mile an hour Art Blakey records and there'd be like 30 people dancing and you'd be like this is unbelievable yeah. on a sound system or you'd see Paul Murphy you know at the electric ballroom you know with his kind of cool kind of London sort of you know 60s look different again to these other guys who'd sort of do it his way serious but kind of cool and yeah. sort of you know fashionable and all those people had a, you know, a big effect on me. And then when I did go to Radio London, um, I was only like 19 then, and they gave me a show called Mad on Jazz, which I called Mad on Jazz. And by being at the BBC, I was in this privileged position of being able to meet all these amazing musicians. So in the space of a, of a, of a month or two, I met Wayne Shorter. Mm. I did an interview with Wayne Shorter. I was like 18, 19 years old. I was in the studio for two hours. He was talking yeah. to me about Buddhism and 
and about you know stuff that no one had ever spoken to me about. I hadn't read books about this. It was like this yeah. is real life, and so suddenly there was all that coming at you. So for me, it was always about a fusion of all these influences that I'd got. I felt very fortunate to have met all these people. You know, people like Mark Murphy or or Jalal from The Last Poets or. Aeta Moreira, all these people, incredible people in their fields, but with great stories. But I'm coming from club culture, South London, a couple of beers and a, and a jazz funk record. So, <laughs> you know, and, and an all day sort of mystery tour with Nicky Holloway, you know, down yeah. and a little trip to Ibiza. So that was all thrown at the same time to me. So, um, you know, what so much to, 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 to give out. And, and of course, as I was learning, I was in a position to be able to bring my listeners with me. And and how did you, you know, that that sort of that shift into sort of when I first encountered you which was uh, probably through the Jazz Juice albums and the Special Branch. I mean, I used to listen to Pete Tong and I remember him playing I don't know Oscar Brand Jr. That Dare or whatever a work song off of Jazz Juice <laughs> 2 and it was like, oh, Jazz Peterson and then it was, you know, we sort of, and then I kind of got into that but from being in, you know, on that sort of jazz, you know, the jazz funk thing and, you know, the records that were Incognito stuff and Johnny Hammond and that, to being more into that sort of hardcore, and I know you've always played those records, but in that sort of 60s blue note, you know, soul jazz kind of vibe, how did, when did you decide, were you, were you slightly bored of the jazz funk thing or the way that that scene was going? Because I know it went a bit overground if you like yeah it may well have done i just think that we all went on our journey those groups those early jazz fun groups introduced us to a wider area of music it introduced us to all those american bands that they were influenced by and then when you got into your you know your, your earth wind and fires before long you were into your pleasures and you were into some other groups like that band of black rio i don't know it just mm. went and so you just followed the followed the journey and eventually you know i think people like paul murphy and the fact there was the rise as well in the style magazine suddenly there was this entrance into our world of id and the face and soho and and you know groups like espresso 7 and plan b and and there was a new movement that yeah, kind of so took blue over rondo from, Turk blue rondo Turk, like that, all yeah. that and so there was another movement that kind of took over from the jazz funk movement and just went and there was the djs to go with it and there was the record shops there was paladin records there was paul murphy there was dean there was a little scene there that i could attach myself to and well that was inspiring me and they introduced me to blue note mm. they introduced me to prestige it was the natural next thing you know you've done the fusion where what was before that and suddenly you hear the sidewinder by lee morgan or you hear ricardo bossanova by hank mobley or you hear you know whatever there's just a, a whole world and that's where the most important person for what i've done in in the jazz sense definitely well i shouldn't really say it because bob jones is important and bangsy but paul murphy incredible dj and creator and tastemaker he was a man who would go into record shops buy Vlodek Gorgowski records, Polish unknown keyboardist, for 50p. And he would find the track on that album that had the bass line that would become an anthem for 21-year-old black kids from Acton. Yeah, yeah, how the hell did that happen? You yeah, know, yeah, and he'd yeah. just play that. And he, he would break track upon track. And these tracks, you know, he created almost like when you go back to like New York disco, classic New York house records, there's a list of like 200 classics, you know, mm. classics. Yeah. Paul Murphy, probably 400 classics have come from him in the jazz world. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we owe a lot to him. Yeah. 
You know, he definitely, and he gave us the dark side, and he gave us a music. He, what he created, not just him, Baz for Jazz, Colin Curtis in Manchester. I mean, I used to go up to Manchester to go to the Berlin Club. That was another really important influence for me going up there because that was a different jazz scene to the London jazz scene. Electric Ballroom was very black, very dance, very fast, and kind of frightening to yeah. a degree, you know. And whereas going to Manchester was more ballet, Colin Curtis would mix. He'd do 20 minutes of just pop music in this club on a Tuesday. And then he'd stop. There'd be one set of people dancing to the cool notes and whatever the latest sort of pop crossover soul-y things were. Then he'd stop, and then he'd play 20 minutes of old Slide Hampton records, and there'd be a whole different crowd of people just ballet dancing on the dance floor. And it was like, what is going on here? Yeah. So all these people were amazing. So Colin Curtis, Hugh and Clark, you know, loads of... There was, there was this... This jazz scene was very interesting because this was jazz dance. It was hard and dark, and, and it had a dance to go with it. And it had a, a uniform. So it was a new movement, you yeah. know. And that's when the English, the, the, the London press, they saw it. The face, they went to the electric ballroom and took their cameras with them and they were like, they filmed it. And suddenly this was really important. You know, yeah. Simon Booth was there. He had a band called Weekend became Working Week which was a band that came out of the Blue Rondos of the Turks and all that and then they took this new thing coming from the upstairs of the Electric Ballroom and we all day is in the Rock City in Nottingham and they'd take that and it would get flung around the world on all these star magazines next thing you know you're being invited to Japan because Japan have, have never seen anything like it Next thing, Slim Gaylord's in the club watching you. Next yeah. thing I'm seeing, Jalal from Last Boat's having a fight with Slim Gaylord upstairs in the WAG club. <laughs> 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 and the person who broke it up was Janine, who used to do the door at Dingles. She would break up most fights. Yeah. <laughs> kind of mad, amazing stories like that. Yeah. From back in the day. So Paul Murphy, huge. Jazz, incredible, because well, at the end of the day, jazz is, you know, it is. It, it's, it's the root of what we're into. You listen to, you know, blues records now. You listen to music. Sort of, you know, you've done the country come soul records, mm. and it all comes back to jazz. It all, it all goes back to, to all of that. So that's really what we're about. Yeah. And I'm into the new stuff, which is people like Flying Lotus and whoever's pushing the envelope out. These are the new. They're the new. They're the important people. I love it. La 
I did like your comment when you said that these were the uh, equivalent of uh, metronomy or subtract. Yeah, or friendly fires in a way of, of their time. They were just a quirky, slightly left of centre band with feel good lyrics, and I love it. Good pop music. Yeah. Good no, pop it's music. Classic, it's great, you know, because it was funny when we both off, you know, when the mics were there, we both started singing along to it. Yeah, no, it's a classic. It's catchy. I played a Bergheim the other day in uh, Berlin. I played that club upstairs in the Panorama Bar. It was the Substance Night with uh, Scuba and a bunch of those guys. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm, I'm sort of playing. It's about three o'clock in the morning, and um, Mo Two, the the artist, ran over to me. He was he lives in Berlin. He went, he says, you got to play Freeze, Southern Freeze, and. Luckily, because I've just done this album, yeah. it was on there, so it was, I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that, because I'm not playing off Serato, <laughs> so I couldn't just go. I actually had it, and I played it. It went off. People loved it. Tiny. People knew it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Bergheim in Berlin. That is quite... Uh, Definitely. It's not that minimal, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's maximal upstairs. That was fun, though. No, wicked, wicked. Mm. Well, look, on this little journey, I suppose the next place we've got to talk about is uh is Dingwalls, which again was another place where lots of alternate bands came through. If you sort of look, I mean, you know, I know that. I mean, it was it was for me. It was a total. It was like going to school every Sunday. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, yeah. uh, what well, uh, was a lot more fun. Hmm. Um, Our church. Yeah. Yeah. It was wicked. Yeah. It you was know, great. I you know we could go to acid house things of an evening and yeah. pull ourselves out of bed and get down there on a Sunday, and. Uh, I think it was probably the first place that I did as a DJ, which was sort of recognised as being my first sort of, you know, moment of, you know, my idea, my thoughts, my concept sort of thing. Before that, I'd done stuff with Bangsy and the Cock Happy Parties. And, they were really good. Yeah, they were great. They were really, they were really great. Lord um, of Dale House. Lord of Dale House, yeah, good moments. And before that, obviously, obviously a lot of stuff with Nicky Holloway. And, mm. you know... But this was the first thing that I was, you know, really, it was my name, my, my, my idea, and, 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 and a period of time, and, 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 and a brilliantly placed venue. Things I didn't quite realise at the time that were massive for it was it was only in the afternoon, so young people could come, mm. you know, so it wasn't sort of strictly. And at that time as well, when Dingles was around, we're talking about, what, um, late 80s? Is yeah. it late 80s? It's after Acid House, isn't it? So probably like from... It was sort of like, it was kind of... Before that? I think it was a little bit before. It was, it was before, like 87 it? God, or yeah, something like yeah, that. It was pre-acid house, wasn't it? It was just yeah. It was all that. It was that magic, magic time. But that period of time for clubbing in London, if you were black and you wore the wrong clothes, you didn't get in. I mean, the right, the door policies were hard. It was a different time. You know, it wasn't as easy, liberal as it is has become. So Dingles was amazing because it was like an afternoon session. It was very open. So there'd be parents coming with their kids. They'd be the dancers. And so a lot of people that I've known over the years used to come there um, who've become musicians and stuff. And they, they're in there because that's where they could go to, you know. And yeah. so um, that was a very important part of it. And obviously the other thing was that it was, it was the place where you could mix live music, which was an important part of what I did presenting. Yeah. And, um, and the DJ thing and a combination of reg groove and this time that we were in with the acid house moving just kicking off and the drugs thing being different and the whole lifestyle had changed so this was the club for a long period of time um it was a mad mishmash of music when you think back yeah. to it wasn't it because i remember you know it's when it was at the same time i think when you had the show on jazz fm yeah which was a long no actually i was on the reason i started dingwalls was because 
I was about to lose my show on Radio London because there was uh, no funding for it. And the only way they could fund my show, late night, me, Gary Crowley and Dave Pierce, we used to do like, a sh- thing in the evening called Night FM. Yeah, and the only way they could fund it was if we did our own, organised our own events. And Dave Pierce was the one who went to Dingwalls. And he went, Giles, you should do something at Dingwalls. So it's thanks to Dave Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, start, I, did, I did Dingwalls. And, and the money that I made from that would pay for the radio show somehow. I can't really? remember the politics of it. It was a bit weird because it was the BBC at the time and you couldn't be seen to be having any commercial. But, you know, that was the only way we could... It's almost like we paid for our own shows somehow. I can't quite remember. On right, the BBC. Right, 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 right. Otherwise, we'd have gone straight over to sort of, you know, the network. And yeah. switched off from being a local station to going to Radio 1 or whatever because it used to switch at midnight yeah that's right yeah, from, no, 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 I, I, I do remember those that series of shows it was like I think Pete Tong was on there for a bit and it was Dave Pierce doing the hip hop thing and you want to choose Gary Crowley on a Wednesday yeah he was great wasn't he Gary Crowley yeah you gotta love him good laugh and so yeah and then and then, but then that was how it started and then throughout the, the, the years that followed obviously came um, K-Jazz the pirate station that, yeah. I, that I that I did with um, with because I I, got, I eventually got fired from Radio London, um, the Matthew Bannister years when he went into Radio London and just brought Chris Chris Evans in and took out everyone including me. Right. In fact, sat me three times in three weeks. He kept on reinstating me because he felt so guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, I went and so and then that I I created a, I did a pirate station called K Jazz with Jez Nelson who's now runs something else, Chris Phillips, yeah. um, Rob Gallagher. Galliano and a bunch of us and so there was a little period of K-Jazz and then Was there a crossover period when you used to do a show and you used to speak in French? Yeah there was a period when I was on both stations so I had to I I couldn't be known to be on a pirate and on the BBC (laughs) at the time so I did one in French and one in English yeah, that's true. Well remembered. There's a film actually. We just saw a film. There's a classic film of um, of um, of K Jazz, um, which we've got. We just found Jazz because he's now running one of the premier production companies in in yeah, England. It's ridiculous, isn't it? He's now got um, sort of facilities to be able to get old cassettes and make them look good again. You know, whereas most of them have been corrupted by now. So he, he got an old video um, tape of us lot spending the day. And putting the arrows up and setting up K Jazz. It's a brilliant bit of that'll go up on YouTube soon. It's really we can have a night <laughs> you and me watching that. It's really I think Paul Bradshaw's in it. And that was also around a club that I used to do. I used to do this pub called the Belvedere Arms. That was when that was also where um Acid House and Acid Jazz met on a Sunday night in the garden and you'd have all the casualties from the boys' own parties and the sort of more serious jazzes and they'd all meet up with a beer in the garden. That was a really great time. Yeah, no, I used to drive there from Woolwich. That was uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, it was all that stuff. I used to you know. It was, yeah. it was probably a bit like yourself, Chris the little Butler. journeys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Chris Butler, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was really, yes. really good. And um, I mean, we can go quite deep here, but I don't think we should do because it's the radio. But but the other thing was, but Dingwalls, Dingwalls was, um, throughout the whole of that period was going on, you know. There was other clubs like the fairs and, and other things that was going on. But Dingwalls really, really sort of was throughout that whole very um, exciting period of time. This next tune was written by a friend of mine. And our relationship goes back, our association goes back quite a few years. Brother Gerald Wise, if he's in the house, would he stand up? Jerry, right in the back over there. This tune is a, a rhythm tune written about a young lady that he knew one time. And uh, she had a lot of rhythm. So we're going to try to interpret this young lady who had a lot of rhythm, by the name of Kitty Bay.
And it was, I suppose it was a period of time when, you know, that, the focus really kind of, you know, as much as the Acid House was thing going on, as a sort of, not as an, an, an ante to it, but in conjunction with it, the funkier side of London, was, you know, with the Acid Jazz thing, which, you know, was brilliant at the time. Do you know what I mean? I suppose it got maligned as it all sort of blew up and became a catch-all tag. But, a little bit later, yeah. But, you know, um, Brand New Heavies and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... Jamiroquai and all those bands. that could, You know, Diana Brown and all that stuff. Yeah. And Well, it was this thing, because there was the Rare Groove thing. This is where Norman and me kind of met up, because obviously I was going to a lot because I was working at the WAG club and we were just you know, we knew each other he was doing his warehouse party shaking finger pop and all that stuff and putting out you know white labels across the tracks by Maceo Parker and the rare groove scene was buzzing and then the jazz scene was also buzzing the jazz scene got a bit influenced by the rare groove scene which is where we started playing more sort of organ funky rare groove that kind of prestige sound got into the mix of it all and we all met in the middle and in fact we all met at Dingwalls because it was you know Dingwalls was Talking Loud on a Sunday and High and Hope on a Thursday. Cross the Tracks, Simon Goff, he did a night there. He was the first one to put nights on, actually, I think, after us, after we'd done Dingwall. So, yeah, there was, I mean, you, we have to remember, Rare Groove had a big, big part to play in all of this, especially in the uniform and the attitude. Yeah. It brought a bit of a punk thing to it all. It brought different kinds of people into the club space, attitude. You know, it wasn't about sort of suburban casuals or trendies it was actually becoming people who worked in advertising companies and you know you know what I mean it yeah, was the DMs yeah, yeah. and the jeans and that thing so, so Norman did an incredible job in terms of bringing in a new type of um, person into the whole mix and I think Dingwalls to finish off on that what was great about Dingwalls was that Dingwalls had the old soul boy casuals it had the kids who'd come from around the M25 it had a few trendies, had some tourists, so beginning to get Italians and French people, you know, into music, coming into it and, and getting the club culture. So many people set up their clubs, people like Giant Steps in America, Morris Bernstein, you know, he always says the club that kind of made him want to do what he's done in America was going to Dingwalls on a Sunday. So suddenly you've got this American influence. It had a big influence in all of that. You had the tourists, you had the, and then you had the kind of acid house, cat. that's the bit I loved, you know, you had yeah. the people who'd been up all night. Yeah. You know, and they'd just wander into Dingwalls at three o'clock in the afternoon and there'd be sort of, I don't know, there'd be some some uh, Charles Mingus playing or some yeah. sort of um, Michel Legrand or something and they'd be like, whoa, you know. A bit of Kitty Bay. A bit of Kitty Bay. So you had, <laughs> you know, you had Ashley Beadle standing next to, you know, um, Gangstar, you know, and then you yeah. had the hip hop crew coming in because hip hop started coming in and so you had, then you had Tribe, Tribe called yeah, Quest yeah. and De La Soul and, and then Soul to Soul. Yeah. Soul to soul, how massive was that when it happened? Yeah, how yeah, proud yeah, did yeah. we feel? Because again, it's back to you know a movement and a live movement and more than just DJs. So there was a scene, there was the acid jazz scene, which was very important because you had Jamiroquai, you had Galliano, the brand new heavies, and then and you also had groups like obviously Soul to Soul. But then the other the other, the other one I wanted to talk to you about because again they're much closer associated with you, and I think they made one of the seminal records back then was the Young Disciples. That was probably the, the, the record that, um, well, maybe not, yeah, I mean, one of my most, um, you know, one of the best records I've released. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just solid all the way solid, through, isn't it? Solid, solid, solid. Winter is coming fast now, I hope that I can last now, never been one to stand the cold. The beginning of the chimney 
It's funny because when they said to me, we want to make the record, and of course, Carlene Anderson, what a, what a voice, but I remember Marco, because this was came, it came at the, it was kind of the result of Rare Groove, this album, you yeah. know, he met Carlene through the Bobby Bird show that Norman Jay had organised at the Town and Country Club, and that's when he first heard, or when Femi and Marco first heard Carlene, but Marco always said to me, he said, uh, you know, I want this to be a Rare Groove record. I want this record to be in 20 years a record that you can't find anywhere. And he accomplished it. Mm. You know, mm. Young Disciples, if you go and try and find a vinyl copy of Road to Freedom by Young Disciples, you will not find it. It's a rare groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So well done, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, no, no, I think that, but it's, I, I just think it's got that, that classic classicism about the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? There's taste. Production sound. Yeah, exactly. Great taste. It's got the balance yeah. that makes it sort of magical and hearing that again you're just like and it was a record that at the time people don't um, know this necessarily two things about this record it was the first well one of the first records I put out on Talking Loud which is the label that I set up after Acid Jazz mm. and um, and it was nominated for a Mercury Prize that year and uh, and it got beaten by Screamadelica okay so that's the first one yeah, yeah. first one but I knew the judges and they said it was whisker away from winning it they came second officially you know, unofficially um and uh, what's the other thing I was going to say about it? That's what I can think about. But yeah, Young Disciples. Um, oh yeah, the other thing about it was the fact that this was a record that had a huge influence in America. So a lot of the producers of that time were listening to the YDs. And I've heard that afterwards, you know, a few years later. A bit like Omar's become a bit of a cult sort of yeah, artist yeah, yeah, for a lot yeah, of yeah. producers out there. That record by Young Disciples, it took a few years before America caught up with it because what it had, it had the hip-hop sensibility of a Tribe Called Quest album, but it had a sort of musicalness, which a lot of R&B in America was not yet at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they managed to combine the sort of new gri- grimy kind of hip-hop sort of, uh, sort of scratchy feel with song composition and a bit of, you know, there's a song on there which is eight minutes long, Freedom Sweet, or even mm. longer. So mixing the hip-hop, the soul, the jazz, a lot of that didn't come out in America for a few years later. So if you speak to Pharrell Williams or Timberland or a lot of those guys, they will, they will all say, um, they will all say um, Young Disciples was an important record.
Listening back to that again on headphones and wanna go The girl yeah, the girl does sound good, didn't she? It's a guy, isn't it? Is it a girl? Yeah, we don't know. Some weirdo from New York. Yeah. That's what I love about New York. You never know what people are. That time as well. (laughs) That time as well. Karen Finley, all that era. I remember seeing her doing her sort of art show, music, striptease, punk, dance, danceteria. You so you were going out there then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because uh, again, it was lucky with the labels and stuff. I was able to. This is the golden age of record labels. You know, you'd mm. go. I want to go to New York for a day. Okay, here's a business class ticket. You can stay at the Royalton. Yeah, like, that doesn't happen anymore. No. Does it? These no. are the days when they'd have to master a record, or they'd need to get a record or some tapes from New York, and they'd get. There's, there's no way of getting the tapes unless you went with Con- with Concord. You know, I remember mm. them sending the tape op guy to to New York to deliver some tapes from Austria. I can't remember if they were picking up or delivering. You send them over there on Concord <laughs> <laughs> just to get there in time. Oh dear, I didn't take full advantage of my expense account at all. Then I didn't care. I was going down the chippy. It was really, you know, <laughs> I used to run talking out with Paul Martin. We were talking about it recently. You know, until I, I got to about 33, I didn't know what good wine was. Didn't care. I just cared about getting new records. Buying that's records. To, I think it's to your credit. I think one thing that the you know a lot of people don't realise with our generation, whatever. I mean, that time that that era we're talking about, every penny we earned was spent on records. That's mm. how you got to the top of your game because mm. it wasn't about you know it was he's got that tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He cut the acetate of that tune. He went out and spent fifty quid on a slate to make sure because you know you weren't playing cassettes and you weren't playing dats and there weren't really CDs going off at that time I don't people weren't burning tracks on CD you had to cut slaves it's different and it wasn't that long ago either was it really wasn't that were they still doing it on the dubstep mad yeah but a lot of weight and a lot of excess luggage and two boxes to the airport the other thing we forgot about at the time is that we were all travelling around Europe that was also Mm. quite important because it was coming from the UK this club culture whatever anyone says you know we were influenced by America Detroit Chicago New York that was a thing that had you know that was a different history but club culture on a global scale was coming from the UK Manchester London and we were out there Paris, Vienna, Cologne, Munich, Dusseldorf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these places were being travelled to by a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go to play Mondays. I'd go to Talking Loud in the daytime. Monday night, well, after a mental weekend, which would start on a Thursday at Babylon at Heaven, Friday the Fez, Saturday like, morning was Jazz FM, Saturday night always a different thing, Sunday lunchtime Dingwalls, Sunday night we'd go down to Belvedere Arms, yeah. Monday Wag Club. It, the weeks that I wasn't at the Wag Club, I'd be at work on a Monday morning, Talking Loud, get the last flight out of Heathrow to Vienna, play at Soul Seduction, this is once a month, from midnight till six, first plane back, straight at the office. <laughs> That's what we were doing. And you're still here. Yeah, I don't know how I did it. Now it's like, 
two gigs a week max. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't do more than two because I really want to enjoy it. But it was quite full on. And then Mondays. And then Mondays at the WAG. Oh, so yeah, so later on, after Dingwalls, after a few years of Dingwalls with Patrick, who was, you know, really important. I mean, coming home from Dingwalls at six o'clock every week, um, we'd always look at each other and go, it doesn't get any better than this. Mm. It can't get any better than this. So I needed a couple of years, maybe a year just to recover when Dingwalls got knocked down and, you know, um, we couldn't continue there anymore. And a bit of time to, to reflect, and it was a good time for the change in the music and new things were happening. Talking Out was getting to a certain point, a bit of success, and then you know the new generation came through. Obviously, on the back of Straight No Chaser, and that was an important publication that that was kind of seemed to hold that whole scene together. A bit yeah. like Mix Mag would have done for dance music, and uh, you know the rise of James Lavelle and yeah. Lowax Records, and then the natural development of doing a night with James who was you know he was a jazz boy bossa nova yeah. boy he used to buy his Brazilian bits from Joe Davis like everybody else and he'd buy his jazz bits from whoever yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know that was his heritage and then we thought well you know he was doing Mo Wax he had Swifty doing the design he had Paul Bradshaw in one ear Michael Copperman in the other and you know his glasses over his nose and a bag of box a bag of records isn't it hip hop and stuff and and beats and trip hop which wasn't cool that then and so we started doing the Monday nights at, at Bar Rumba he brought a good little vibe to it didn't he Do you know what I mean? it, was, it, was, it was a different a diff- you know it was, it was obviously influenced by like you say yourself and a, and a whole load of other people but it was a uh, it was an interesting take that I thought he brought to it. Do you know great I mean? new energy, great yeah. new energy. I mean, it, it always needs new energies. It's like even looking at the people that I've sort of worked with in the last few years, you know, whether it's uh, the BPM who's got the boiler room now mm. or whether it was Benji B who's mm. producing me or whether it was Karen P who's got her own company, all these people, it's great to see them. When they come in, you can see them. They walk into the room and they are so hungry mm. and they're bringing in new energy. And we always need that. I think anybody in music needs to keep an open mind and and to see what more people can bring to it. Energy is the most important thing in what we do, and to have new energy is important. So James came with bundles of it, yeah. And we all needed that, you know. Bit bit nuts and great. I loved it. And so we started doing a night bar rumba, which had a bit of live music. But that's how it is, band. Yeah, yeah. Janine used to do the door like she did the dingles. And we brought quite a lot of the team from Dingwalls over. B, who used to work in the bar, she did the door as well. Good gang. You know, and that's also important for people listening to this who, you know, want to set up a club and, and do their thing. Because, you know, I do recommend, you know, people always going, well, you know, I want my music to get out and I want to become a bigger DJ. I want to do what you've done, whatever. Set your thing up. You know, it's not yeah. going to just come to you. You know, yeah. you've got to do your thing. Get your team. Get your people just build your thing and it will happen if you've got enough passion for it mm. so we had that and James came in and we did that for I don't know another 13 years another 10 years I don't do clubs half hearted as you know mm. Ross and as you say though you know the bad the worst start of the week possible <laughs> we'd, we'd walk out of there at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday yes it was dark but um, it was I mean it was amazing yeah it was, it was that was a, a club and a half and I think so, you know the fact that it ran me. every week for I used to smoke so much in that club <laughs> smoking we used to drive with our phones in our ears there was no rules you know yeah. and uh, the sound system was good and it was a good low ceiling bar rumba Monday night and that just blew up and we were again really lucky with the music and the change and everything that was going on you know whether it was Porter's Head and Massive Attack whether it was DJ Shadow The Roots DJ Crush whether it was Ronnie Size 
all those records were coming to yeah. us and whether it was you know either James or I were releasing most of them or we knew the people who were putting them out so you know with yourself as well we'd come in there with just a box of acetates and everyone was a monster yeah and you know playing Strangers by Portishead in there or playing I don't know Duality yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the first time I played Worldwide by The Roots or Mellow My Man by The Roots in there yeah. like the hip hop the live drums it was incredible we didn't really realise it at the time I don't think you ever do do you? no no I think you're too in it aren't you and you're just sort of uh, revelling it but it was um, yeah no it was, it was one of those places which were just yeah it was a, lot, it was a, a long time and a lot of good music and a lot of late nights, but um, yeah, no, no, I must admit, I, it, no, <laughs> just, still, just, just we're still <laughs> suffering now. Alzheimer's setting there. But yeah, no, it was, uh, and and I think that was the thing. We, you know, obviously, it was a it was a total melting pot, and you've always gone back and played different stuff. But the, it was that advent, I think, of of more and more and more, you know, that UK club culture making its own music, yeah, and indie labels and and you know i think when you're talking that you know the, the acetates and whatever that was the feeding of just the, you know the old stuff still being dropped in and still some great old tunes being dug up by yourself and whoever but the shift as i think it sets kind of now do you know what i mean where it's more about those all those old school elements and all the stuff we've talked about previously feeding in to this new sound which was which was totally a London well, it, was, it wasn't even a London thing do you know what I mean there was stuff coming from Japan mm. with Major Force and then all the other sort of you know UFO and those kind of records and, and German, Germany Jazz and Over yeah. Compost Records they were really important Kruder and Dorfmeister Kruder and Dorf yeah, yeah. There, was a, there was a real movement and, uh, but I think you know it's kind of interesting tracing it back to that point of you know of, like you're saying at Dingwalls where people would come in and check it out and then go back and do their own thing and you know it was that um, the guy in Italy does all this stuff. Cola Conti. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. And all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. sort of rooted in that. And it's, you know, it's where everything is now. Do you know what I mean? You know, on this new compilation, there's a ton of tracks that are influenced and rooted in those old school things. But I thought it was really exciting, just all these new bits and pieces that were, that were coming along at Bar Rumba on a Monday. Do you know what I mean? And this melting pot of, you know, DJ Die sampling ramp and do you know what I mean you know it was just and then brown paper bag and, and obviously a lot more brown paper bag you know first dropped in yeah there. oh yeah Ben's yeah Ben Wilcox as well not to be forgotten you gotta love him yeah DJ Brownswood used to be there yeah it was a good team of people and of course a lot of DJs would pass through in London because the other thing about a Monday night was that most people were free or they'd just done a gig at the weekend so mm. some of them they'd always get all the DJs coming through you know, one minute you'd have Kenny Dope on the dance floor, the next minute, you know, Josh Wink or whatever. It was Carl Craig would be in there, yeah. Yeah, it was great. So it was a really great place for everybody to unite, which is what any scene's about. And I think that's when things go a little bit pear-shaped for any music form is when you can't kind of meet up. That's why the best clubs come out of something. And, uh, you know, same, you know, it's like whether it's Mallard's Club or whether it's plastic, places like that, they bring scenes together. And, yeah. and, and, our, and, 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 it, it, it basically encourages people to go and make tunes, and uh, and then it just mushrooms from there. Yeah, I, and I, I think that there's those a lot of the time the things that 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 we get off on, and I know you've always done things like this, but you know it was like I remember when you got Weverall to remix Galliano, and I can remember when James came up to me and he went, "Ross, you're gonna love this. I've got the funk mob. 
remix by Richie Horton. You know, and obviously, I, you know, I can remember talking to Paul Bradshaw and he was going to me, techno, we do like banging stuff. And you're like, no, no, there's a deeper side to it, Paul. You'll love it, you'll love it. And then James playing it to me, you know, just as a concept, I was like, wow, this is getting really exciting because there's these elements, disparate elements of me going to sort of boys' own parties and techno things and whatever. And, and then, it, and then you know, before I was probably making, re- you know, work, work, making records, you know, people like yourself and James pulling those disparate elements together and coming up with these fusions again coming back to that what we were talking about earlier some work some don't yeah but you know that that you know you talk about minimalism that Ritty Halton mix of La Funk Mob still, you, still drop that it's just raw and funky and sparse and works on all dance floors what it should do haven't really changed a great deal for me in what? terms of my playlist. I mean, you know, it's widened and there's an awful lot of it and I sort of pride myself in being as much about the new as I am about the old. Mm. That's very important to me. But actually, the rules haven't changed a lot. Good music, soulful music, uplifting music, a bit of darkness, a bit of twist out, a bit of a wobbly bass line, a nice pretty melody, soulful, soulful, soulful. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's quality. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it is, it is that. I mean, that's that thing. It's just quality, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of you know they are. That's what we love about you. Timeless records. Do you know what I mean? That are that are different, and have that funk and, and soul to them. Do you know what I mean? But we need the dirt. See, sometimes I think a lot of things go wrong when people. This is where the newness is really important. That's why for me, you know, listening to a new switch production or listening to you know Lofa or listening to Rinse FM or listening to you know some crazy new brain feeder release. Those you know. Mallow, whatever. These mm. things are really important to me now as much. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes yeah. I think a lot of people, they just get caught up in... I love the history and the heritage. I love all that. It's really important. You know, I love to go back to and talk about Bill Withers. But equally for me, it's equally... I get even more of a buzz, especially this year, actually, because mm. it's been such a great renaissance for new music, I feel, of all sorts. Nowadays, getting a, a brilliant new thing, an MP3, out of nowhere, that lands on your computer and you listen to it on your headphones and you go, this is it, you know? Yeah.
What are we going to play? I don't know. I reckon we should play something off the new album, off, off this, off the compilation, some new bits. Okay. What about Code 9? That's a good chance. Oh, wow, yeah, we haven't gone there. I love that track. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really important, um, Steve Code9, with uh, Hyperdub and what he's doing. All those guys, it's like the reason the dubstep scene, for want of a better word, and I'm sure that's not the correct word these days, but, you know, they've got really important people who know how to push it along and motivate a generation of producers. So you've got your Code9s, you've got your Screams and your Bengas, yeah. you've got your Mallers. So you've got really important people, which you had in drum and bass, which is why drum and bass, whatever anyone says, is still alive and going mm. strong 20 years later because you had Goldie, you had Bookham, you had Ronnie Size, you had people who could talk to the media and who understood it, could sell it. And uh, voila, and that's probably why you didn't have a follow-through on Broken Beat. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it didn't quite have those characters. It had amazing characters, IG, Digo, but they yeah. weren't publicity trained. No, 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 no. I, I think the other thing with Broken Beat was it just always seemed to be they were quite happy just for their records to work at Plastic People and not really anywhere else. But I suppose in a way that's the same as the dubstep people. I mean, you know, I mean I've seen so many people, you know, back in the day or a few years ago, absolutely tear gas a dance floor with dubstep. I, I, I look at the advent of dubstep as almost different in a kind of cultural way, um, but kind of similar to Acid House, like a revolution on the dance floor. As much as Acid House cut through and the sort of jazz funk thing was was there, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, right, everyone's doing ease and we don't, we're bored of this. And it was, it was kind of t probably tailing off anyway, kind of come back to what we were talking about earlier. But the dubstep thing is just one of those things which totally galvanised a more youthful and an older crowd. They totally changed the rules. Mm. And, and, you know, and it was because they didn't care, because they were just down in Croyd and doing their thing, and all of a sudden it just went zoom. Yeah. And it was like, and I think it's, you know, as we were talking about earlier about with Rodigan and, you know, best of all, the other year, you know, it, you, it, that's kind of funny why I think they're coming back to the house thing now because it's, it was such a sort of line in the sand and you could see the younger kind of kids that I really noticed it at that best of all where they were just like, right, we want to hear reggae, dubstep, jungle, drum and bass and house and disco are for that older crowd. And it was, you know, but then again, I, I don't know, I'm intrigued where the Joy Orbisons and, and even, you know, I mean, Code 9 is a perfect example. And that as a label, you know, Hyperdub is a great example of that. Yeah, people, they, they've just got, there are, again, there's no barriers out there. It's just like, it's music. It's music, but you need people like Steve to be able to make people feel that that's okay. Mm. And that... You know, Mala's another one. I've been really lucky to work with him recently because we did a new album in Cuba, a new Havana Cultura, which is coming out later on this year. And what I did to switch it around a bit this year is I brought a few of my team over there. So I went over there with an engineer, producer that I work with a lot called Sinbad, and uh, I brought Mala over. And uh, obviously, I'm a friend of his and I've known him for quite a long time. But I really wanted to see what he'd make of it because he comes from Jamaica and it's just the island next door but it's very different culturally to Jamaica of course and he could either have gone well you know I'm going to earn more money doing you know my nights elsewhere yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know I'm actually going to dive into you know a, a different zone and outside of my comfort zone and do something and he came over there for the first time with me in January for a few days and I could just see his eyes open up and all these opportunities and playing with musicians and he was really taking all the culture in and, and we went on to make the album in April he's done a version of it actually we've done a like a what, dub album well yeah I did I was in one room and uh, the band the musicians would come through me and then they'd end up in his room so it's kind of cool mm. and so he's working on his part of the album which is going to come out in January but um, but just working with someone like him and his vision great to have somebody like that as the head or one of the heads of, of a movement you yeah. need people like him, really centred, really appreciative of, 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 of the heritage and very open-minded. Yeah, well, the stuff on... It's, it's a great label, Deep Med, isn't it? There's such a sort of variety of things that are on there from, you know, sort of, I don't know, old apparatus to goth trad to silky to quest, you know, and it's, it's, it's coming out of that. Again, you know, you sort of were, were like, I don't know what 
oh god knows what you do call this music when you talk to silky or whatever and you sort of go dubstep he's like well it's not really you know it's sort of moved beyond that but as a as a jumping off point and like you say those heads that are just into music and into the kind of the the, the whole sort of ethos it's, I, I interviewed goldie a little while ago and to hear him talk about metal heads and the the sort of the art behind it and the the ethos behind it and just the thing of like bored of jungle bored of like mcs getting on the mic he banned them and just going off and being creative and and you know in the context of this new format that was jungle and then became drum and bass and and whatever it was and those guys are exploring that you know not solely at 140 bpm but it is that do you know what i mean it's like just pushing it out and i think coming back to what we're talking about jazz a similar thing isn't it do you know what I mean it's that sort of experimentation within a, a little area yeah pushing that, it that's why I love living in London mm. I love it I travel a lot but there's no place like here for movement and change and competition and bitchiness and toughness but that's great because it mm. makes it makes the thing move fashion music there's always something going on here. And if it ain't in East, it'll be West. If it ain't West, it's South. It, you know, if it's not Croydon, it's Dalston. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. And uh, talking of London, going to speed mm. and drum and bass, that was a very important period for me around the time of That's How It Is, to go there and to feel comfortable in a, in a, in a club and love the music that was being played there. Um, so you know a lot of thanks to those guys you know, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For, for what they've done in Goldie and, 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 and that's why going back to the whole dubstep thing I think there's some really great characters and you know individuals who mm. are going to carry this scene through and great on one hand you've got James Blake and Mount Kimby on the other hand you've got Burial of course that's all sort of similar Darkstar those kind of groups then you've got you know what Benger and Scream and that whole movement what's hap- how it's being morphed around in America how it's being you know it's quite international as well so mm. you're getting bits from all over the place Eastern Europe it's amazing yeah the, the, the track I got the other day that I thought was really good was that Von D oh yeah with that Feifei girl or whatever and all of a sudden you've got this kind of sort of more you know sort of full musical thing with a song and you know I've got a little vision of something I think should happen I want I want to see the dubstep loose ends yeah <laughs> I think I, th- I think it's coming hanging on a th- hanging by a s- hanging, hanging on, on a string hanging on a string that's another try I should have put on a comp but it's been put on so many comps so no but yeah because it, it would fit wouldn't it because you can see that the, you know like you say the, the divisions and the sort of you know the the, the slight the, you know the what's going on in America and Scream and Benga doing their thing and I think you've got people like Silky and Quest and could all be that KTB person. could be could be a KTB thing KTB is um, don't do a version of it but she's another soul girl isn't she totally soul yeah, yeah, boogie yeah. you know yeah Paul Anderson big up that's another little inner scene amongst the scenes isn't it that was very important sort of you know influenced a lot of people people like Paul Anderson sort of the the sort of boogie housey side yeah, of things yeah, yeah, yeah those zoo guys, and all that lot very important is there anything on there like that oh, there is loads probably yeah you know what we need to play now mm. bass fort okay yeah that's that's, that's good Shadow. yeah let's go let's go to Mallorca is this from Mallorca yeah Carito Café
Another killer. Yeah, on, no, a, on a boogie tip. No, because this is the kind of record that I know you love as well because um, I remember there was that Sandy Riviera track, the John Cutler sort of sound. Yeah. And I remember you used to play great stuff like that and we'd do a few swaps of that kind of slightly sort of... It's the keys the minor keys and that kind of vocal thing it's like it's just I love that kind of house music yeah. you know I don't know what it's it is rooted in, root, yeah rooted yeah. in the funk with yeah. that sort of yeah I love that you can't beat that and who's that that's off the new that's off the compilation who, who is that um, I think that's Roman Rauch and it's a soul fiction remix there's a song actually um, these days there's so much music right and yeah. and so much from every area, house, minimal, whatever. It's millions. And I've got um, Lefto, DJ Lefto is a guy in Brussels who works for Studio Brussels. He's a brilliant, uh, he just gets music for me quite a lot. It's him, Sinbad. You know, we've all got our people mm. who we do swaps with and stuff yeah. like that. And he's really great. And he, he, he's more of a hip hop head and a beats head, but he, he just said, you're going to love that. So yeah. he gave it to me. But yeah, German, German vibes. They're doing all right at the moment, the Germans, aren't they? Getting, you know, not that they ever weren't, but it's, um, you know, I think there's some, you know, I think on the show the other week we played this Denise Kurt or Dixon mix, and there's the, there was another thing that we've got, AFMB, some new thing on Drum Pirate Community, which yeah. sounded exactly like those early 90s house records, which mm. were a sound that I, you know, and I think we both played them, do you know what I mean? Things like, you know, Wall of Sound, Critical, and all those sort of early masters at work things which it seems to be that sound is sort of back in yeah and following on from that dubstep conversation I think there's a lot of those guys you know if you look at what you know, Loafer's doing with Swamp 81 they're all and Joy Alberson do you know what I mean they're Addison Groove or whatever they're, they're back they're, they're sort of <laughs> harking back to that tip <laughs> yeah Ramadan I mean it's funny I mean first of all on the German tip, a couple of DJs who I always just, every time I salute them every time, because every time I hear them, they always inspire me, mm. whatever's going on in the world of whether you're hype or not at the time. Yeah. Reiner Truby, never, yeah. ever, ever question his quality. Mm. Alex Bark, Jazzanova. Yeah. Peter Kruder as a solo DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dixon. Henrik Schwartz. Yeah. All those guys are Premier League. Mm. You can put them on anywhere, peak time, they will not let you down. Mm. And it's important you've got those kind of guys who can rep the scene and they're making good music, Motor City, Drum Ensemble. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, you've got the clubs um, in Germany. But um, yeah, good scene. The other scene actually, which is probably, which I think we haven't spoken about, which has also been a massive, massive part of my life, is Japan. And yeah. the way that they treat the music and treat the culture and how that's changed since I first went there with Dave Durrell back in 87 or 88 and playing at uh, in Shibuya in a, in a little bar there, in a, in a little club there, bringing Acid House. We brought Acid House to, 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 to Japan that year. <laughs> And um, and I've been going there ever since, you know, um, 20 years and um, seeing the scene grow and develop and absolutely, you know, um, so sh sad about what happened recently over there. But, yeah, but the scene there as a DJ, as a music maker, producers, very important. And, and the, the work that people like the United Future Organization did to build a scene 
um, was very important. But yeah, it's a, it's a great place. I can't wait. I'm going back there actually in September, first time since the disaster, and going to be playing. And they've got the best clubs there, mm. sound wise. You know, you go there and they look after you. Yeah. You go, they know what a DJ needs. And, you know, in terms of comfort and sound, especially DJs of the elder generation, because it's all very good when you're sort of, you know, 18 and you're, you're cracky speakers and you can stay up all night and it's like, eh. Yeah. But now you're turning up to do an eight-hour set, I need certain comforts, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, good yeah. monitors, yeah. you know, things that work and <laughs> people that look after you. Mm. And they're the best at that, as I'm sure, you know, everyone kind of knows. But And what are there, are there, you know, a lot of new artists coming out of Japan that you're sort of... Interestingly, yeah there is to a degree but not probably they always had a really good take on the jazz thing they did the yeah. jazz thing really really well and I was thinking about this recently because I just got a bunch of new records by Shuya Okino and Jazztronic and and uh, Massa Sextet and Soil and Pimp Sessions and I actually quite like them but I was actually thinking they haven't really moved on hmm. um, that, that scene I still like it but um, in a way I think they've been caught up a little bit and I think this disaster is going to make a big difference. It's a new period for them now. And I'm going I'm very keen to see what I'm going to hear when I go over there um, in a few weeks' time. I'm actually going to go to Sendai where the disaster happened. I'm going to do a big charity event there okay, on nice. the, um, on the uh, actually on my birthday. So that would be crazy with Toshio yeah. Matsura. So we're going to go down there and, uh, and see, you know, see, see what that's like. into the new phase and, yeah. and I think this uh, I think the album is a great you know across obviously two of the CDs mm. is a great uh, roundup of, of kind of what's going on now it's, it seems it's kind of got more uh, there's a sort of a new housey sort of feel and then you, I kind of like the vibe on the second CD particularly which is we sort of touched on by playing the uh, Dinosaur L with a little Arthur Russell-y kind of New York sleazy disco kind of tip yeah but um you know, when you were putting this together, what were you, what were you kind of thinking? Well, I wanted to do a record because I did a record for Defected a couple of years ago, and I thought that actually, the it was a double CD or triple, I can't remember. But yeah, it was a triple. One CD was all exclusive tracks, I think, so that was quite good. But um, I, I did one retro CD, which was all kind of old school disco boogie kind of stuff, and that still sounds good. I thought that the house, this house side, it was a little bit too straight mm. and it probably um, didn't really reflect I don't know if it's if it's stood the test of time really so for me this ministry album I wanted to it to be I mean at the end of the day I wanted it to, to 
to uh, to represent the kind of house I wanted to base it around house and dance music it's on Ministry of Sound yeah. let's remember that yeah. and you know what's gone before it and all that stuff so I just really wanted to put on dance music that I'm feeling of different rhythms and types but stuff which I think will still sound good in five years time yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know there are, and I've slipped a few oldies amongst the new stuff which I hadn't done on the def- on the on the one for for defected um yeah, for defective. So, I think it's good. I mean, you know, I've got future acid tracks on there. I've got slippery things like ish and and uh, you know some odd little odd bits. And Tyrone Evans is a big tune, but you know, Tyrone Evans is a big tune. But then there's the new people like Corliss is on there, Jack Green's on there. So there's you know there's enough of it's just very exciting. I think it really represents you know Mr. Beatnik. That's a big track for me. I mean, it really is. Um, it, it was very easy to do, which probably yeah. is a sign that things are great yeah, 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 <laughs> I wasn't yeah, yeah, struggling yeah. too hard with it you know I basically threw around I mean the funny thing is on my radio show on, on Radio 1 normally I do a thing called All Winners mm. which is basically a sort of look back on the last few months and I just pull out all the best tracks and normally I just do two a year All Winners which is about 50 songs in two hours I've already done two so far we're not even into September yet so I'm going to do at least three this year which kind of tells you how much great music there is at the moment for me to have done that so you know I think we should play Subtract because I think that's one record that um, is coming from this scene whatever that scene is that kind of attitude yeah Aaron used to work in If Records. He was brought up on all those things that we've been talking about for the last two hours. And he has made a fantastic record with a great singer called Sampha, who reminds me some weird way of Freeze. When I hear them, I kind of see Freeze going back to Freeze again. And and they signed to Young Turks. Tick's involved. I think he wrote a lot of the lyrics, which gives it that edge. Great productions. There's some really good songs on the album with Little Dragon, and there's a track called The Pharaohs that I really love. But this song here, Hold On, is just another one for the heart and just presses all the buttons and makes you feel really good. Can we play that? We can play that now. How do you mean? What do you mean you're not coming by? I called you later and you were outside. It always creeps, creeps inside my head. Curtains closed, you peep inside my head. You were always down for it. Get in this getaway and we run from it Yeah, you were always down for it Get in this getaway and we run from it You're giving me the coldest stare Like you don't even know I'm here Why don't we turn the leaf? Why don't we turn the Why don't we turn the leaf? Why don't we turn the You're giving me the coldest stare like you don't even know I'm here Why don't we turn the leaf? Why don't we turn the Why don't we turn the leaf? Why don't we turn the well, What you've done, what you've done You can't keep inside By the end of the night I'll help you confide Cause I can see, see inside yourself Cause I can see you're not being yourself Cause usually you're down for it can't hold back a smile when you try for it Yeah, cause usually you're down for it Can't hold back a smile when you try for it You're giving me the coldest, me the coldest stare. Like you don't even know how like don't know yeah. Why don't you let me see? Why don't you let me? Why don't you let me see? Why don't you let me? Like you don't even know 
Yeah, he sounds great. Yeah, it's no, good to yeah, see Aaron great. coming through because he's tried a lot of different so, things and he's made some great records along the way. But he has focused and honed and, and got a good really, sound. I'm really impressed. I'm yeah. really pleased for him because I have to say, when you work in a record shop and he worked in a record shop called If, which we all went to, and uh, it was dictated to by JC, who you know he was that was his shop, mm. and Aaron was in there sitting down doing all the online stuff, and he'd sort of just put his head down and listen to JC sort of act his way through the day and be all the dramas and and I always used to think you know what's this guy going to end up doing mm. and and you know he he just did his thing waited bided his time made his beats did his edits did his little bootleggy things mm. so the great just kept it going and was just always in and made had a pre-career with BBE put a record out as Aaron Jerome and then I think he got his he just thought no 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 this is the wrong direction he really sensed the time and where music was at and it came for him he can write he's fully aware of the heritage of dance music and the beats and everything and he's just come up with a classic record mm. and uh, I think it's going to do really well yeah no it seems to be setting up nicely isn't it? I think the yeah. live shows are great as well right label right timing and yeah. great singer yeah no definitely big up well, one of the other things that I, that, I, that I liked, and I think that is kind of in the air at the moment, but he's reflected on a few tracks kind of in the middle of the first CD, is the sort of African yeah. kind of feel that's about at the moment. But not just the sort of, you know, there's obviously the Fela Kuti mm. vibes and that whole Afro housey thing that was going on. But I think some of the bits you've got in here, like the Bjorn Torsk and the Mo Colors and the King Koya. King Koya's good. Yeah, it's just kind of off-key and, yeah, that's and a different. Bit, that's a bit cumbia. I mean, again, this is a time which is very interesting for all these different elements that have been just building up in their own fields for years. There's been a great retro African remastered way of looking at things with labels like Soundway, Analog mm. Africa. Um, you know, what people like, um, you know, people like Björk working with Omar Suleiman. Yeah. You've got um, that whole cumbia scene, the Cuban scene, what people like Quantic have been doing, all Uproot Andy, then suddenly that kind of touches into Diplo area, all yeah. this mashup, all these different things. It's great. And and so I, for me, in fact, the worst, the most confusing thing for me, actually, when I'm DJing, say at a place like Bestival, is how do I fit in all these elements in 90 minutes? Mm. Um, without preparing it in advance which I never do I can't do that preparing in advance which I should do because it would definitely take a lot of stress away from me yeah I know that one but there's so many you know what I mean <laughs> I'm still like turn up and just literally five seconds before I go on to 3,000 people no idea what I'm going to play it's kind of like it's kind of this weird sort of 
playing with your nerves type of yeah. game and it either goes really well or it can be really stressful and I'm sure that's what's going to give me an early heart attack just that whole sort of <laughs> adrenaline freak out thing but anyway the thing is the music that there is you know how do you get from King Koya to Julio, ja- Julio Bashmore yeah. how do you get from you know I don't know it's, but when it works it's amazing isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I think in a way this album I'm trying to kind of just touch it and, and feel you know hey join the dots really yeah. back to that one <laughs> but no it's, but it, I mean I think that's what you've always been really good at do you know what I mean it's just making those connections and seeing that that record you know even before you was mixing records you know they would just bounce yeah the momentum's there. Do you but know what some I mean? weeks, like, some weeks I do think I just want to turn up and just play African music. It'll be a lot easier. Yeah. Or you know, and I think sometimes I I, I turn up at events and people are really disappointed because you know, what's Charles playing a load of stuff on Swamp? You know, or, or mm. you know, we don't want to. We want him to play Young Disciples records. That's a bit of a weird one sometimes. It doesn't really happen so much now. People do know what they're going to get from me. But as a result, I'm at my best when I play for six hours in Plastic People. Yeah. That's when I can really do. I always feel like I'm not quite um, able to. Um, really fully express myself when I've got a 60 minute set. Have you ever thought of doing that? Because, you know, sort of that, you know, sort of, I mean, obviously you do do it with plastic people, but you know the way that sort of scruff now has just gone right, I'm not DJing with anyone else, I'm just going to go jump. Yeah, scruff, I should have learned from scruff. In a way, I think that scruff, what he did, he really managed his kind of, you know, his, but he's a businessman mm. in a different way. And he basically, well, I don't even think that's very fair on him because I think he's he, just a... Yeah, he's, he's a wicked DJ. He's an he's... incredible artist. He's an incredible artist and DJ. There's no question. But he surrounded himself in a way that there was, got, you know, everything he does is totally... People go and hear him. They know it's going to be six hours. It's going to look great and it's going to sound great and it's going to be the scruff experience. Yeah. I didn't do that. But because I wanted to... My whole thing was I love getting off on being back-to-back with Carl Cox or back-to-back with Marky or back-to-back with Mala. For me, I need to be in those situations to... uh, I need that to be out of my comfort zone. I I need that because it's important, but... Because as much as you you were saying it's kind of scary before, you you know, it does give you a buzz when you come out the other end and you're like... Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, of course. (laughs) When it goes well, it's great. When it goes well, it is really great, but... When I do things in Japan or when I, like, I'm going to the States next week and every gig I'm doing, I'm playing all night. And so people, you know, there's going to be no one disappointed and it will allow me to really, you know, if I want to play sort of, you know, four blues records at three o'clock in the morning back to back, well, I will. Mm. You know, I don't have to think about, oh, hang on, toddler tea's on in 20 minutes. How am I going to get to that point? Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes, so, you know, I'm trying to, I mean, to be honest with you, this year I've certainly made a big effort not to I mean funnily enough I didn't do any of the big festivals this year in, in the UK I didn't want to do it again the same way so from now on definitely from next year I think you won't get an uh, an unprepared Giles Peterson turning up at a peak time set at the Big Chill um, having had a free nights on the go beforehand and not be quite ready for it I mean you know I've done that for 30 years <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I think people would be more disappointed with that I know maybe they were whatever we'll see <coughs> Yeah, I'm not saying I'm going to turn up with lights and sort of in dances or <laughs> But, you know, just a little bit more. The album is out. It's sounding great. As a, we've been through the sort of the the history and and where you're at now and stuff. What 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 is what's what's next? What are you what are you thinking apart loving from Loving it. I'm just loving it. Honestly, I'm just think I'm just really enjoying being me having, you know, done and met all these brilliant people and 
found a great network of people and what a gig to be able to go and play your favorite records i can still i'm on radio one i can play what i want mm. and i was at a radio one meeting yesterday and i was like you know the, the, the annual dj meeting and i was like you know what i'm so lucky to be able to if i want to play you know half an hour of wayne shorter no one's going to tell me i can't mm. and there's not many people who've got that privilege in the no, world totally, totally. so in that respect i'm happy um i'm doing events that i'm really enjoying um and uh cuba trying to do stuff out of the bag as well different things different challenges you know more african stuff travel more to different places exotic places i don't know what to say i'm just continuing in constant search for the perfect beat or else well <laughs> you're doing a good you've done a good job so far and i can't imagine it will stop so um Big up Zinger as well. He's my MC and, uh, you know, constant inspiration. Um, and I think that's the other thing, you know, there's a lot of great people who don't get the plaudits. You know, I, 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 I kind of go on my journey. I'm good at communicating. I'm quite good at, you know, enthusing about stuff and, you know, making people want to be part of it. That's my skill, I think. And uh, But there's a lot of, you know, proper clever people around that you know I call up and inspire me and tell me books to read and you know all that stuff and I think it's really important for anybody in music and in the arts to to really investigate and explore what there is out there there's so much to be inspired by well I think that is a good point to uh, end it all on that um, it's been wicked having you in Thanks, the album's Ross. sounding great and uh, cheers man Long may you continue. Merci.